So welcome. Um, I'm Beth Anderson. I'm a family law attorney, and this is Breaking Upward. It's a podcast from your dissolution angels and your crossroads crew about when life brings you changes. Um, Your family might change form, but it's still a family. And you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. So I have a very special guest today. It's Tom Kozlowski, and he is a realtor. And what we're going to talk about today is when you need to sell a vacation or mountain property, because Tom has a special expertise in that. And specifically, we're going to talk about when that happens in a divorce or in probate, because I have that issue a lot where maybe you have a ski place or someplace in the mountains and you need to dispose of it and get it sold as part of the divorce or when someone passes away. And I know I've lived in the mountains that it's very special and unique, number one, to sell properties in the mountains, and number two, to sell um, a vacation property or some sort of second home. So um, just a little bit about me. As I mentioned, I do probate, I do estate planning, and I do family law. And we're located down in Littleton, and we also have an office in Evergreen. And Tom, tell me a little bit about yourself and how people can get in touch with you. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast, okay? It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here, and I'm just so excited about talking about the mountains and real estate. So, uh, you know, short story about me kind of stuff. I came out of Baltimore, from Baltimore to the mountains, oh, about seven and a half years ago, and I got my real estate license at that point after working about 37 years in corporate uh, purchasing and supply chain management. So I took all the skills from the working as an agent in purchasing and translated that to working with clients in the real estate industry, and I just love the mountains. Yep, so I started uh, Peak State Properties uh, just a few years ago, and I'm a sole proprietor and a business owner and a broker agent. I work directly with my clients, uh, so they don't work with anyone else. I take them from cradle to grave, from buying homes to selling homes, and do everything possible to help them. Fantastic. We're going to just dive right in and um, talk about a question I had for you right away was, what's the difference of having a buyer's agent, a seller's agent, things like that? That's something I wasn't really clear on that I thought you could clarify a little bit. No, I appreciate that. So in the state of Colorado, there's different agencies that we have. There's a broker's agent, or you can be a transaction agent or transaction broker, okay? I prefer to work as a representing only one side, either the buyer or the seller, okay? The transactions that we typically do are in the multiple hundred thousand dollars into the million dollars of a transaction, and I always feel very adamant that the, that the buyer or the seller is represented by one person, and that agent is actually not representing two sides. And so in the state of Colorado, actually, when you're a transaction broker, you represent neither side, and you just handle paperwork going back and forth. Uh, but my, and truly in my opinion, because of the value of the of these properties and, and, and some of the stuff that gets difficult in how we transact in negotiations, I really prefer to only represent one side, if it's the buyer or the seller, and stay away from it being a transaction broker. Okay, that yeah, it really cleared it up for me, and I'm sure I had a general understanding of it, but it's always good to um, kind of make that clear to the people that might be listening, the people going through these transactions, because I'm sure they don't always have it straight or the advantages and disadvantages of that. 
You talked about communication when you're selling a mountain property. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, communication is key. So in, in the second home market in Breckenridge, Summit County, Park County, where I uh, primarily work, most of my clients are out-of-state clients uh, or out-of-town, okay? Um, a lot of the clients are from the Front Range and from the Denver area, but a lot of them are actually out-of-state. So communication to working with those clients is absolutely key, from a lot of video conferencing to Zoom calls to, to text, emails, calls, whatever is the preference truly of my client, that's how I like to communicate with them. And you know you can never over communicate. Uh, you know real estate is a you know it, it's a it's a large transaction, and I think the more I communicate and tell my clients what's going on with their schedules, who's coming in our house, when we're going to do things, and and make those things happen, the more my clients being out of town, they can feel more comfortable of what's happening. You know thousands of miles away with their, with their transaction with their home, if it's either buyer or a seller. And I find there's so much in common with realtors and what I do as a family law attorney, because um, whether it's a negotiated settlement or a trial, it's very similar to a closing where you have to make sure all the moving pieces come together on a specific date and time to get the deal done. And you do all your work outside of that transaction so the transaction goes well. And so actually, I really enjoy working with realtors as clients because it's so similar. But one thing we had talked about um, prior to today is we both deal with high emotions and um, big changes about big assets for most families. Um, the home may well be their primary asset, and even a vacation home is a big asset. And um, I had asked you what you do when things get a little wonky, emotions get involved, um, I deal with a lot of closings of real estate. In fact, I had one today. Um, in one of my cases, we'll never talk about the details of any of our clients or any of my cases, but I'll just suffice it to say that closings are a big part. And so what I asked you is, what do you do to deal with emotions in real estate transactions, in divorce or probate to help get the deal done and keep the clients on track and you talked about um, setting expectations and and can you just elaborate on that I uh, sure can so the emotions are different between and between divorces divorce couples selling a property versus a probate sale that is a in uh, uh, a state sale so uh, when it comes to divorce sales and uh, I've had experience with with several of these uh, you know what I try to do is and again, it comes back to communication, but it's really understanding the needs of both of the sellers, okay? The husband and the wife, you know, what are they trying to do with this property? Are they trying to maximize on it, on the value? Are they trying to sell it quickly? And why are they selling it? You know, why can't one keep the property versus the other one? You know, understanding their whys when we go into the transaction from the very beginning, okay? So I want to make sure that I meet those whys, I meet their needs, during the entire transaction. And so during a transaction, I communicate directly with both the husband and the wife. All the emails go to both. I try not to communicate one, you know, try to play one off the other one or do one. Actually, what happens more often than not is the husband or the wife try to play me in the middle, just put me in okay. the middle between <laughs> I the can other see two. That. Okay. And so I do my darnest to communicate with them directly on a on a on the same basis. If it's text, it's a group text. If it's an email, it's a group email going back and forth. 
Uh, all the contracts are signed off usually by the both parties. And, you know, the worst case scenario is a during transaction of, you know, when things come up that do, they do go south once in a while, you know, I have to go back to back to the attorneys, back to Beth, okay, like yourself and say, Beth, we're having this issue, you know, the other party is not playing along or we can't communicate, they're not responding back to our to our deadlines, to our signatures, I can't get them to communicate back or whatever the issue may be, I will go back to the other, the attorneys and then the attorneys get involved and usually it's amazing how things happen very quickly after that once I get the attorneys involved because uh, the other party comes back to the party, comes back to the table uh, very quickly after that. Right. I've had that come up where one party really wants to hold the closing hostage. And sure. I mean, multiple times. In fact, I even had a realtor call me on the eve of closing. And I said, there's so many things you can do because it's marital waste to just destroy maybe a good sale if that's going to cost a lot of money to both parties. That's called marital waste, where essentially you're just throwing money out the window to hurt the other side. And you can talk to the other attorney. You can get involved in the court even and get a court ruling. And, and you can just say, hey, if you do this, these are the consequences. And it helps the closing go through. So I've been involved in that kind of a threat from one party or the other, um, myself as the lawyer. No, uh, absolutely. And, you know, we, and I do go back to the attorneys, like I said, for if I can't solve it myself, okay, and, and a lot of times, you know, it may be a conversation, an individual conversation with a, with a husband or the wife separately, okay, to, and to bring them back to the understanding of why we're doing this transaction. You know, what are they going to get out of this? You know, how, how by selling this house is going to meet their needs, which we discussed very early on in, in when, yeah, they, when I, they first approached me. That impressed me about you when we talked that you get their why up front, and then when things get wobbly, you remind them, here's why you're here. You maybe want to maximize the profit, or you want to close more quickly, and then you can just redirect them back to, this is why we're doing this, and I've already started doing that with some of my clients, myself, Tom, <laughs> well, good, and I've good. copied off of you. <laughs> yes, so, and it was oh, pretty effective, it. yeah. So um, now we're talking about mountain properties. What's different and unique about selling a mountain property, Summit County or something like that? Or You know, something, uh, Summit County is just a little bit unique from the, the rest of the Denver metro area kind of stuff. You know, we are in the mountains. It's a different market, okay? So depending on what the property is, I mean, if we're selling a condo versus a single-family home, a duplex, townhomes. So there's a variety of homes that you know, we're selling or with a piece of property, you know, is there land involved, okay? Are the water rights involved in this property? Uh, so depending on the, you know, what the home is, you know, there's uniqueness, of course, comes to, you know, sometimes the, the sewer, the septic, the, the wells, uh, that's unique. The HOAs, uh, the, you know, some of the HOAs have first right refusal, so basically we write the contract and then we have to give it to the other HOA owners, you know, other other owners of the of the condo complex, for let them to bid on this property first if they want to buy it. Okay, so so understanding that whole process of the first right of refusal uh, is very important because if you don't do that, it delays the sale because the HOA will come back and says, "Well, this is an illegal sale. We didn't have enough notice to our own owners." Uh, so therefore, you're just everything just gets delayed. Okay, I did know. not know that about the right of first refusal mm -hmm. 
for um, an HOA. And yeah, that is certainly something you wouldn't want to mess up and sabotage the sale. So that's no. news to me. And, and enforcement of the sale kind of stuff is, you know, advertising the property correctly, you know, knowing how to advertise it without, you know, to sell it quickly or for the most amount of money and where it's located kind of stuff. Uh, there are certain things that you know we show in our MLS that that other MLSs don't have that information. What's MLS? MLS is a multiple uh, listing service. Okay. Sure, and that's where people list their properties online. That's where the agents list their properties okay. online. So okay. all the agents. So once we are, you know, once we have a client and we have a listing agreement with the client, in order to advertise that home among all the other agents in our MLS. We put the information in our MLS. So then all the agents have that information all at the same time, and it drives the most amount of traffic to that home and also drives the most comp competition for the buyers. Okay, So if you're selling it, you want to be able to give this thing to the broadest market. So in our MLS, we have about 700-some agents that will see that property immediately. And once they see the property, then they, of course, you know, send it to their buyers, and then the more people can see this property, the quicker it can sell, the more higher the value, the higher the price can be. And the more, you know, in this market right now, you know, we have competitive offers going in. Yeah, right now it's competitive offers and who knows what the future holds. But I think for the um, foreseeable future, it's just a bit of a frenzy, at least for primary residences. Is that what you're seeing for Second homes, mountain homes, vacation properties. You know, so in the mountains, what we've seen uh, started actually last year. Typically, we're about oh seventy percent uh, second homes and thirty percent primary homes up in okay. Southern County. Uh, last year, with COVID, it's changed uh, quite a bit, where we saw many more families moving into Summit County uh, versus just buying a second home. Okay, uh, and this year we're seeing the same thing. Do you think it's anything to do with um, the quarantine and remote working that people are thinking they can work and live in a place they prefer? I just am curious if you think uh, that's a factor. Absolutely. It's, it's a big, big decision factor for, for a lot of families to, to be in the mountains. You know, typically the families what we see is they've been coming up the, to the mountains, you know, for years. They've been skiing, enjoying the, you know, the hikes and the biking and the kayaking and and what everything else that you know that we have to offer them in Summit County, and so what they realize that with COVID is that you know they can re now work remote, okay, and then when they re they can work remote, they realize you know something I've always wanted to be up there, and why not now? Okay? Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. and um, it may help people who are selling that it opened up a whole new market for people that aren't just looking at this as a potential second home or more a second home or a vacation home but hey i could even live here whole new uh, group of potential buyers yep exactly and for some county kind of stuff for the folks that already you know that already own the property up there they understand this uh for for people actually looking up there it's a you know we're an hour and a half from from the front range yeah, closest, it, closest people resort. don't know. Even when I lived in Evergreen, people, you would think I was in Grand Junction or something. They'd just be like <laughs> two snowflakes. Oh, I can't go. Oh, you're so far. And then I even rem I remember one time speaking to Rotary and I was saying, we call it down the hill. I don't, do they say that in Summit County? That's what they said in Evergreen. Like down the hill means the flatlanders and down Just go through the flatlands. Yeah. And so, um, they might say, oh, well, it's your turn to host, but we can't go up there. And at first I was like, oh, I never get to host and do the cooking and the clean. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I never yeah. have to host and do all that. 
So yeah, I'm familiar a little no, bit with they good. think it's a lot harder than it truly is just to buzz on down to Denver Correct. or and, Lakewood. And I think that's why the market is so hot up there in Suffolk County because people are just are realizing that they can live up there and having just a wonderful life. Yeah, definitely you like know. you. Yeah, and then you. but for those of us who might be thinking is a vacation home, um um, selling something like that and even looking at your potential buyers, um, what are some of the factors that are unique? To selling? Yeah. Just I would say mainly from the seller's perspective. And I know you talked about qualifying buyers, but that affects the transaction. And I would think that affects the seller too. It, it does. So when I take a transaction on as a as a listing agent, okay, to help uh -huh. them, you know, to help them to, to help the couple sell the home, comes of course, you know, you understand why, okay, and you know, understanding the market is cr crucial, okay, to where we price out the home. You know, depends on the location, the quality of the home, the age of the home, how well it's fixed up, does it need to be fixed up, that kind of stuff. So you know, we evaluate the home pretty quickly on, okay, and in divorce cases and also in probate. Uh, the first thing that people want to know is what, what is this house worth, okay? Because it adds into their entire, usually in the, uh, uh, for the divorces, of course, it adds into the value, how they split up their funds, how yes, they the assets. Yes, yeah, they have to start off with a sworn financial statement, mm -hmm. and you have to list the value of the property. So I usually say start with unknown or estimated, and then we might get an appraiser, um, to evaluate the property that will be willing to testify in court. Yep. And then um, if the, either party wants to hold on to it or sell it, you need to know right away what kind of financing is going to be involved. Sure. So that's what one of the first steps that we do is kind of do a market evaluation and market, sure. you know, um, the broker opinion you know, broker's opinion on this thing or just a, you know, a competitive market analysis yeah, just yeah. see what the house is worth. So so people know going in there what they expect for the sale. Um, and then, but the uniqueness, you know, sometimes the second homes are, they're short-term rented, okay? It's very popular now, of course, you know, the short-term rentals with Airbnb, oh, yeah, VRBO, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So the homes are short-term rented. So the one thing that we try to work with also is with the sellers of these mountain homes is, is there any potential renters coming in, okay? You know, are they, is this home already pre-booked for the next six, seven months? Uh, is it under property management? How do we transfer, you know, do we transfer all these renters through the new owner or do these, or do we have to cancel out, okay? So it becomes a little, a little tricky sometimes because if it's a property management, if it's a property managed by a property management, then it's easy because a new owner can take over the property managed, same sure, contract. just assume the contract. Just assume the contracts. If it's a more, if people do it on their own, uh, VRBO, mm -hmm. Airbnb, it becomes a little more tricky because those people are not transferred automatically. So we have to work diligently with the buyer and the seller, okay, if they want to take over the summer renters or not. Because some people buy properties and buy properties up there as an investment, uh, a second home, where they want to offset some of the expenses by short-term renting it. Uh, so they'll do that. So when you are the seller and you're the owner and you have renters out there, um, some buyers want the renters because they want that income coming in and some say no I just I just want to use it myself you know and so we have to negotiate you know these renters or future renters rentals uh, in that do you ever transition them into maybe the new buyer into working with a property management company or something like that say it was self-managed short-term rentals and then all of a sudden someone else says I don't want to take all that on is that something that you guys uh, help with ever? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, it's a small community, so and I work very closely with 
several you know great short-term rental property management companies they that I refer my clients to okay and not only that you know for any kind of vendors or contractors handymans whatever the people may need up there okay uh, you know, that's, I'm, I'm a resource. Yeah, I think that's connection. another thing that sets you apart is you are so well connected in your community and you really wouldn't want to work with someone who isn't because that's an important thing you bring to the table is what do you need for septic, what do you need for all these different things. Correct. Well, you know, so some of the stuff may sound more complicated, you know, but we try to take, at least I try to take the complication out of the, that process where things happen, you know, you just, the, the seller knows what is going on? He just sees the results, but you know they don't see the, you know the 30, 30 calls in between to get the contractor set up right. and get them done, yeah. and, and the scheduling and moving things around that kind of stuff. So, I do try to make it as easy as possible for the party. Um, you know, so basically at the end, you know, one of the best compliments my my sellers or the buyers can tell me is that, Tom, this was so easy. Okay, if I get that, that means I've done a really great job. Done well. I've yeah. Done well. well, and I like what you said that you make a complicated and stressful transaction as easy as possible. And yes. Yeah, that's such a worthy goal, and and I really like that about what you commented on make, going through this because it's hard enough to be going through probate. It's very sad. It's very emotional. It's hard enough to go through a divorce. It's sad, it's emotional, and what they don't need is an additional complication. And so um, just having that happen, I think, is is key and critical. Um, we probably don't have time to go into a lot of detail about divorce itself and probate itself, um, how it relates to real estate. Um, I can have you touch on that just a little bit. Let's start with probate. What are some things to look for? Again, communication, you know, the understanding of why there's sales, I understand the sale, okay? Uh, the valuation is always, always first because there may be, usually there's multiple family members that are involved in a probate sale, oh, yeah. in a state sale. <laughs> so people want to know, okay, what is this house worth, okay? And we'll just use as an example that, you know, the parents have passed away or the last parent passed away and the house is going over to the kids and there's multiple kids in a family. So the first question is like, okay, what's this house worth? How are we dividing up the proceeds or that kind of stuff? Sure. And yeah. do you have multiple family members weighing in or checking in with you to make sure everything's kosher, it's going well? I do. I do. De depending on the family, okay? You know, I try to work with the, whoever the personal representative is. Yep, okay? exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, the executor or personal representative, depending on, on the, on the, um, on the sale. State. Or, yeah, here state in Colorado, state. it's a personal representative. And then you have a proverbial detractor or who's always um, making sure that they get everything done. It's usually someone married to a child maybe, or okay. a relative of the decedent, because I think they're a, they're a step away, and so they might feel more comfortable. Not always, I'm just generalizing, but a lot of times they might be that person. They're like, why is this taking so long? Where are we getting our money? When is it selling? Exactly. That's what I find, because I work on stuff like that. And yeah. then maybe just because of time being short, what is something in divorce you see unique, especially with um, mountain properties or second properties? You know, something, it's, it's really, with the divorce, the, the, the process is the same 
on a sale, if it's a divorce sale, a probate sale, or just a normal sure. sale kind of stuff. Uh, and divorces is truly is just a communication and make sure that at the end, we're not going to be at the closing table, we're going to be closing at the time we're supposed to be closing. Because while the, the divorced couple may not get along and sometimes they want to hold up closing, there is other, you know, of course there's another party to it, which is the buyer. Right. Okay? That's expecting, you know, they've already been working on their mortgage, they pay for the appraisal, the inspections, you know, they may be moving into this home as soon as it's closed, you know, they want to be, have a vacation as soon as it's closed. So it's, it's very key to me and very important, even though it may not represent the buyer, it represents the sellers, is that we close on time every single time that it's done. Uh, and the last thing I ever want is any surprises at closing and, and you know, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had any, okay? That's great. Yeah, and I think um, that gives me another perspective about it too because, of course, I like to move things along. That's my philosophy in divorce is that I rarely get a phone call, oh, why'd my divorce go so fast? Why is everything so smooth? Why did it get done so easily? It's always, why is it taking so long? Right. When's this gonna move along? Even people who may start out and say, you know, I'm in no rush, I'm pretty upset, and I just need to catch my breath and take my time. Almost every time later they'll just say, when's this gonna be done, let's move it along, let's move it along. So to reschedule a closing is just a hardship, not only for the buyers and the sellers, but for that process too, to get closure in whether it's probate or the divorce. Yeah, absolutely. And, it does, and you know, we mentioned probate real quick. Uh, so on, on probate kind of stuff, and of course, when I get into probate, you know, the valuation is first, okay? You know, I, I work with my the, the executor or the personal representative about getting make sure they have the right home insurance. Okay, there's a different make sure there's a rider in their insurance for a vacant home policy. Okay, because the home's going to be vacant versus it was occupied. You know, we change the locks as quickly as we can because especially a second home, there's more people than not had, had access to this to this home. Oh, they okay? might be. They all are used to coming up all the time. Yeah, the contractors, mm -hmm. even family, okay? Sometimes if certain people don't want to be, you know, the, the personal representative doesn't want to allow some other members in this house because they don't trust them, whatever it is. So we change the locks, we change the coding on the, on the doors, that kind of stuff, you know? I help arrange hiring any kind of contractors that we may need in there to do any kind of upgrades, okay? We get involved in short-term, long-term storage because sometimes, you know, families want to hold on to somebody's, uh, you know, personal effects from a family, so sometimes, you know, but we need to sell this home, so, but they're not ready to pick it up, they're not ready to move it, or they don't know where to move it to. You know, one, one brother lives in California, the other one lives in Maryland, okay? So they want to have time to split this stuff up, take a look at it. So I help arrange with the short-term storage or long-term storage, we'll make arrangements to, to move the things over there, you know? We also do the, you know, donation pickup, if they, if, if at the time we move the stuff into storage, whatever's left over, and the family doesn't want, doesn't want to donate it, I help with the donation. We do estate sales as well because sometimes, you know, in, in mountain properties is a not a unique. I guess maybe a little unique from every from some other areas, is we sell most of the properties furnished. Okay, so furniture comes, you know, because usually when people buy a second home, uh, they want to have a place to, they can just move in with their suitcase with their clothes, you know. From I didn't know that like okay? a turnkey purchase. They want everything good to go. Correct. They want. Wow, have, I didn't know that. That makes a, sense, though. They want a turnkey, good to go, with the suitcases. They want to move in and just be living there. Okay. The last thing people want to do have is projects. Okay. That's the hardest thing because people don't know who to hire, which contractors to get, and that kind yeah. of stuff. 
That so, makes sense. Yeah. So you know, so depending on what the family wants to keep in a in a estate sale, they may want to keep it. They want to want to donate it. They want to have an estate sale. Actually, if it's valuable art and that kind of stuff. So I help arrange you know any of that information. You know, then we do the cleaning, of course, and then we do the staging of the property, and then once once that is done, that's actually when my other job kicks in is actually trying to sell this home. You know, for the marketing of the home, the listing of the home, negotiating the contracting, the whole transaction. So there's probably, you know, a good dozen things that I get involved in in an estate sale that I don't get involved in other typical sales because the owners do most of this stuff. But in an estate sale, I, I take, you know, really from A to Z, uh, I've helped my clients out because and most of most of my clients that do, I do estate sales are out of town or out of state and uh, a lot of them haven't been to this home for years um, some some have but a lot of them you know, it's, I get this time I haven't been in this home for 10 years okay I have no idea what's there what it's like help me out yeah, yeah. that was another thing that I think you had mentioned before was just that a lot of times with these sales um, there's there are members of the family that weren't using the property and they're not familiar with it. No, not at all. Not and at all. I went through something personally a couple of weekends ago with my husband's grandmother, believe it or not, how old I am, <laughs> passed away. And um, we did the clean out of her house and found all these amazing things, um, a chest of clothes from the turn of the century nice. and these old nice. books. And I felt like I got to know the whole family better. But I was impressed that a realtor dropped by, checked how things are going, asked about the history of the property. And I hadn't really thought through the transaction from that perspective before about, like, when can we list this? Well, people have things they want to move out and, mm -hmm. and a whole um, blend of personalities to work it all out. But it was fun to be part of it, oddly enough. But, um, yeah, I got to – I always say I got the client experience when I go through something like that um, yeah, which is personally. Great. Yeah. Now I'm blindsiding you with the question that uh -oh. I didn't know I was going to ask you, which is something I always, I'm going to confess what I tell my clients and I'd like to get your perspective. I tell my clients, and this is, I usually throw in a reward for people that listen all the way to the end. That's a piece of strategy that I don't tell people that aren't my clients. And um, if you know that piece of strategy, you're going to be on to some of the things that I do in, in my job. And one of the things I tell my clients is, you know, if you're the seller and um, not really the seller, but you're the party that wants the other party to buy you out, huh? you if you can get away with the tax appraisal or pay for an appraisal, that's a better number for you because it's usually a, sm a lower number and let me just say, I think I might have had that backwards. If you're the party who's staying, you want the tax appraisal or a lower appraisal number because you do not want to pay a lot of money to buy that other person out, okay? So mm -hmm. you're a husband, you're a wife, you're getting a divorce, and you want to stay in that house, you're going to say, uh, let's get a lower number, maybe um, go with hiring an appraiser. What you wouldn't want to do, but maybe if you're the person getting bought out, is to go with a comparative market analysis or Zillow because I have a theory that realtors like to tell people that their houses are worth a whole lot because it's a lot more fun to sell your house or you get a lot more excited about it if you're getting more money. So that's what I tell my clients. I tell them, 
you know, you have to be careful of what Zillow or a realtor says because it's going to be a higher number with a comparative market analysis. Whereas if you hire someone who routinely appraises property for divorce or real estate transactions and is prepared to testify in court, that's what judges prefer. And that's 100% true. But what I'm asking you is I think that a lot of times is a lower number because of my theory. And I'd be curious to see what you think about that. I know I agree. I agree with you. Okay. Uh, but not for the not for the reason I think what you mentioned about why realtors want to just, you know, sell for the house, you know, for a lot more money. Uh, the appraisers will appraise the home uh, based on current market conditions, um, based on the comps in the, mar- in, in the area, okay? Uh, it gets a little trickier in the mountains because there's usually not two like properties, okay? Like versus a big community, you have, you know, Cookie cutter homes, you yes, know, you, yeah, you can pretty yeah. much, you can track pay, homes, and, and that's where it, yeah. that's where Zillow and Truly is, and all these people come in and they can do an electronic evaluation, and they're pretty close. In the mountains, they're truly unique properties, one-offs. Uh, the inside is different. The views could be twenty, thirty thousand dollars difference from one home to the next door because of the views it, itself. So, an appraiser doesn't look at the views. They don't look at the. They just look at the really just the home and they kind of evaluate it. But there will be. Usually, they their appraisal. What I've seen in the past is a little bit lower than a market value appraisal or market value evaluation from a realtor. Okay, so now, I think you're saying it might be higher, but it might be for a legitimate reason, like a view or something that makes it more appealing to the purchaser. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, because from from a agent standpoint, you know, and I try not to put fluff into my valuations. Okay. I, basically, you know, we in our industry is called, you know, you buy in the listing. Okay. So basically you give some some crazy number that you're gonna sell the property for, knowing that you'll never get a number, expecting that in about twenty days you're gonna just lower the price and then you'll eventually sell it. Okay. It's called buying a listing and I just I don't practice that at all with my clients. I'd rather lose a listing but give them a true valuation what I Oh, so I think what you're saying is I have certain practices in my profession that I consider not optimal or I, I don't want to be sanctimonious or pious, but I'll do certain things and I really frown on people who don't. So, for example, I'm not going to upsell to a trust if people don't need a trust because exactly. I think it's shady. And I'm not going to promise a potential client, oh, you're going to get so much maintenance and entice them to something where I can't deliver because they're just trying to land the client. Right. My version of buy a listing. And I would never do that. And I'd never tell my client, oh, you have to get a divorce, which I've heard people say. And I'm, you know what, that's for you to decide. And here's some factors to look at. So those are my ethics. And it sounds like you're saying, you know, maybe what I said is a little offensive (laughs) to your ethics (laughs) if people are um, puffery, using puffery. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I think you're talking from seeing some agents that do that okay there's agents that absolutely will just like i said they'll buy the listing they'll tell the client anything they want to hear just to get the listing well and i'm talking about zillow and it's usually higher than what the appraisal comes in maybe not right now where the market's really crazy and maybe not in 2008 2009 10 when the market's plummeting but um yeah yeah yeah, it seems higher yeah, the Zestimates, we don't use Zestimates in the mountains. I mean, they're not, they're usually off by, oh my goodness, a huge factor from the reality, okay? Higher? Uh, both. Oh, okay. Both. They could okay. be lower, they could be higher. Uh, some of my best leads, actually, not best leads, but some of my leads came from actually from Zillow because people come in for the, with this estimate and 
you know, and then, you know, we truly do evaluation of the market kind of stuff. Okay. And, and there could be fifty, sixty thousand dollars off either way. Wow. Either yeah. way. Okay. Good to know. So yeah. in the mountains you we try not to use it at all. Okay. Uh, you know, that's why I think hiring a good realtor, you know, a local realtor that knows the area, knows the market, is absolutely crucial for for these transactions up there. Yeah, well, very good answer to the blind side. And by the way, if you are my client, I sometimes am blindsiding them on the stand a little bit if they can handle it because the way I'm talking to you, like uh, it's odd, but sometimes even my direct examination of my clients, and I don't know why this came to mind, but is very conversational. I'll ask them questions they didn't see coming because I think the sincerity comes through or I think they can handle it. So it was a compliment to you that I thought you could handle it. And that was something I always wanted to know and it just came to mind. So now's the important time for my lawyer joke of the Uh day, which is- And I've been um, waiting for this all Yeah, I know, with bated breath. (laughs) With Chad who told me don't do it and I do it every time. Um, And also I blame Chad for that. He said I did not tell this joke before because I couldn't remember if I did. So there's a lawyer, he has a heart attack. And he's in the hospital, he has surgery, he's recovering, and he wakes up in a hospital room, and it's somewhat dark, and the shades are drawn. And he said, what's going on? Why are all the shades drawn? And the nurse says, yeah, um, the building across the street is on fire, and we didn't want you to think that the surgery was not successful. (laughs) So that's my joke of the day. And then <laughs> the next part, I love it. I love it. and then the next part is, I know there's no like flattering jokes about like, like there's no jokes about like how great lawyers are, like Mother Teresa or something. They're always just like incredibly insulting. And, and even, oh, one more thing. This isn't a joke, but it's a fact. All the other professions had er, who are interfacing with the public had earlier vaccinations, except lawyers. I swear, we, <laughs> it's like they almost made us do later. I, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, you can't I, take it personal. I'm not gonna go there. Okay. Yeah, don't. <laughs> so anyway, so um, the next thing is I am going to prepare us for our next podcast, which it turns out a, a little of a change in plans, but it's probably going to be someone who's going to talk about um, investing funds um, after coming into money in probate or divorce because um, that is very common and a lot of times you'll have Um, not to stereotype, but um, a lot of times a wife, but it could be either party who really has never had a substantial amount of money that um, they needed to invest themselves. Same with inheriting. And my, uh, I'm advised that within three years, usually an inheritance is gone. It's found money and you just blow through it. And so that's our question for next time is, what are some good pointers about how to invest money that you come into in maybe a divorce or probate? And um, interestingly enough, sometimes it might be a lower amount that a lot of people don't want to work with that amount. Like right now, it's about 600000 is that number where everyone wants to help you invest your money. But if you have like 100000 or 50000 a lot of people don't want to be bothered. They'll just say, go get your Vanguard account. So... Um, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about for next time. So do you want to weigh in anything on that and guess? Because I kind of like to guess 
for what you think? Like, do you have any ideas no, on that? No, no. I, th I think, you know, money is a, uh, it's, you know, money is just a medium kind of stuff, but it's your thoughts and ideas and your and your your thoughts about the money is how you're going to spend it, okay? If you really haven't had the money before, you really have, you know, lack of money management kind of stuff, you're going to lose that money as soon as you get it, okay? And the people that actually had a lot of money and they lose it, they somehow they tend to come right back into money again, you know, they have money again. So it's, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a mind game. It, it's really, have it's we talked about this before? No. Because I say something very similar. I say that people, and maybe it's because, you know, we work with people that um, have money or don't. And um, I think our culture values money too much and we undervalue the ability to handle and manage money and so i always use the analogy that you could put a pile of manure on my front step and for me i'd be like i don't know what to do with this it's horrible and a master gardener would turn it into like tomatoes and corn and roses and all these things because they know how to manage it Correct. and so there's no lottery curse that's what happens when you give a lot of money to someone who has no idea how to manage it. Right. It'll be gone. Exactly what you said, or I sometimes another analogy is just like a five-year-old driving a Maserati into a ditch because they don't know how to drive. It's not a lottery curse. They don't know how to manage money. And then what people don't understand about my clients who are very wealthy is that's almost a full-time job to them that they have to learn how to protect it from everyone else who thinks they're entitled to it. No, I, absolutely. I t totally agree. Yeah, it might be a little wordier, but that's kind of how I've learned to view it. Um, very similar to what you said. And um, I, and so all the more, have someone give you some guidance there so you know what to do. So yeah. very well put. So I can't um, wait. Yeah, so do you have any um, things you want to close in? You can just remind people how to reach you and if you want to give out your contact information. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, I'm sure you'll have the information on the podcast, but it's Tom Kozlowski with Peak State Properties. Uh, and you can reach me by email on Z period Tom period Kozlowski. And it's K-O-Z-L-O-W-S-K-I at gmail.com. That's the easiest way. Okay, perfect. And I actually give my cell phone out really freely. It's 303-808-4794. You can call or text me anytime and I'll get you in the right direction for your legal needs and give you a free consult. So, um, gosh, I really appreciate you coming all the way down here. I'm humbled that you would even do that. It's super fun. And thanks for being part of my podcast. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Beth. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And so for um, people like me that have had their family change form, it's still family and you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. On behalf of Anderson Law PC. Thank you.